0: Pop Health Week on the Blog Talk Radio Network and syndicated by Healthcare Now Radio is brought to you by Health Innovation Media. And welcome everyone. I'm Greg Masters, Managing Director of Health Innovation Media. And in the virtual studio with me today is my partner, co-founder and co-host of Pop Health Week, Fred Goldstein, President of Accountable Health LLC, a Jacksonville, Florida-based consulting firm Focused on population health and the value-based healthcare economy. So, Fred, welcome to the show.
1: Great to be on after this recent HIMSS event. I'm sure you've had a bit of time to recuperate, as I, as have I.
0: Yes, I would say yesterday is actually the first day I was breathing normally and trying to catch <laughs> up with a whole lot of post-production work. So. Anyway, we are broadcasting today from Jacksonville, Florida and Mill Valley, California, where I can say it's a beautiful day in Marin County. And today, uh, Fred and I on the show will recap our experience at HIMSS 2019 and highlight some of the key takeaways from this annual gathering of the best and brightest minds in the health IT space before kicking it to Fred, uh, Since we launched the Live From Him series in 2013 at the New Orleans uh, Convention Center, we co-located our Pink Sox pop-up studio for two years, first with Conversa Health, an innovative digital health company. Then in 2018, last year, we co-located with Click Healthcare. And this year, we were fortunate to co-locate For two days of live audio streaming atop the Nuance booth, interviewing a talented pool of Nuance executives and conference luminaries, including Rasu Shrestha, John Madison, and Anish Chopra. And for more information, go to healthinnovationmedia.com and check out the two posts that are tagged live from HIMSS 2019. So getting into it... uh, Top of mind for me was Fred and I attended the pre-conference uh, National Health IT Week Summit that was focused on the underserved communities. Uh, at this session, Donald Rucker, the current national coordinator for health IT, broke some news, which with the assistance of uh, um, Peter Ashkenaz, the uh, media guru over there at ONC, we were able to corner Dr. Rucker, and Fred uh, led him in a very positive, informative exchange on the then, which was news-breaking, joint ONC-CMS announcement via NPRMs, and uh, we got him on film. Excellent interview. Again, healthinnovationmedia.com. Go there, watch it. Uh, Fred will tell us more about that in just a minute. The second highlight for me was what's turned out to be a annual experience, uh, a delight chatting with Dr. Kaveh Safave, the Senior Managing Director overseeing Acc- Accenture's global portfolio of their health industry practice. Uh, Dr. Safavi discussed the 2019 Consumer Health Survey that Accenture does, and Fred will dip into that, give some highlights as well. And then we pivoted to, to our live from him series this year, and we were based in the Nuance booth. And uh, we had a, a, an amazing mix of uh, Nuance executives. Uh, Nuance has uh, claimed a major stake in the conversational AI world. And uh, we reported on this earlier at the J.P. Morgan conference because their, their CEO, Mark Benjamin, uh, shared his repositioning of the company. They're all in in health, and they're all in in AI. So we're going to hear a lot more about that. So with that as general introduction, Fred, tell me what's on your mind, what uh, what some of your key takeaways are, and uh, let's go from there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it was fascinating, as you said, to first open up at the National Health IT Week Summit um, and and uh, listen to that first presentation by Don Rucker, and obviously to talk to him afterwards and realize, you know, they, they were just releasing this uh, information actually in a press conference to follow um, our discussion with him. And, and I find it really interesting and very exciting that CMS and and HHS and the ONC have sort of begun to take this role of, hey, we're not seeing the value we hope to get out of some of this IT stuff that's out there. So we're going to promulgate some rules and, and that will open this up, make interoperability better, et cetera. And in this case, it was really something to benefit all of us as individuals and patients. And that was to say, look, you have got to set up to provide this data to people's apps um, without charging them and make it available to other apps that may want to use it. So they're beginning to say you may not have connected it but you're going to connect it. You're going to make this stuff useful. You're going to put it in the hands of consumers. And I just find that really exciting. And I'm happy to see these kinds of changes coming out. Obviously it's better when industry just responds because it's a good thing to do, but when it doesn't, you know, that's probably an appropriate role for government to say, wait a second, folks, uh, you, you need to do this. You need to free it up. So I was, I was really excited to hear that. And obviously um Dr. Rucker discusses that in the interview on the website, and there's been a lot of press out about it more recently, and I think it's going to have a very positive response on a lot of things and probably push other areas of interoperability as well as people say, wait a second, are there going to be some regs that impact me potentially, or do I just go ahead and fix it now and get it going?
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting to me that to date, a lot of this uh, patient empowerment via transparency and leveling the playing field. One might say, you know, democratizing healthcare from a provider-centric to a consumer-centric industry. One might say, given the rollout of the high-tech space, uh, of the health IT space under the high-tech incentive funds, we're 10 years in, and there's a real mixed track record. So between SEMA, Burma, at uh, CMS and what they've been doing sequentially at ONC, it's put up or shut up time because it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's either there's a theory here that if consumers have more skin in the game, which they now do because deductibles are up, coinsurance is up, benefits are being restricted for the most part. There are certain high end exceptions, but for the most part, what we've been doing is putting more skin in the game. And the so-called tools who are that are, are to enable this empowerment, prudent navigation, more health-literate consumer, yada, 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 better experience, lower per capita cost. That's all kind of, well, we're still in this theory phase. Let's see if this will happen. So the regulators are stepping up.
1: Yeah, I think you nailed it. It, you know, it really is about... Um, this, as you point out, there's this disconnect between, Hey, we, as the consumers are, have to begin to make these decisions because clearly there's a lot more money at stake at, in most people's pockets today around healthcare yet not have the tools. And so this is great stuff. Just as you point out, I think that was right on target. Right on. The, the, the next area that you mentioned, which, as you said, it's always a pleasure to talk to Dr. Kaveh Safavi at Accenture, um, just so insightful across so many areas. Every time I've talked to him, I always, I always learn something. And obviously this new survey again, which is about consumers, which sort of fits with the prior uh, thing we just discussed, is that the, they, they did a survey on consumer interest in digital health and how they look at the healthcare system and have clearly identified that, that now that we have all of these digital technologies out there across the rest of our life, whether it's the ability to purchase things or to uh, watch movies when we want or to schedule a buy, a buy something, schedule a ticket, pick your seat, airlines, those kinds of things have not necessarily gotten into healthcare yet, but there's clearly a drive by the consumer, according to this survey, uh, to say, we want that. We're going to demand that. And as, as, uh, they pointed out in the study, it, it does vary by age groups, uh, certainly the uh, younger millennials are really expect, expecting this stuff but the but even the um folks in the 35 to 45 year old range are used to this now and are demanding these kinds of services from healthcare and expecting them as convenience makers and things they're looking for
0: yeah yeah i was i was thinking you know the sort of the overgeneralization that they're digital natives the millennials the millennials they're 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 savvy right and but when you go up the age cohort reaching into our group you know we're somehow clueless but you know what you dive a little deeper into those cohorts and it isn't such a straightforward story right so tech is central to the theme and the first bullet that that summarized uh on the blog that you you mentioned is uh, this is profoundly significant one half of the respondents in the U.S., use non-traditional healthcare services, and one quarter use digital non-traditional means to access healthcare. So these devices and platforms are de facto gatekeepers, trafficking utilization of healthcare services. And even more worrisome is the general medical community is losing half of its share to alternative healthcare practitioners. Because most traditional medicine practitioners, they shun holistic health, non-traditional care, you know, that the chiropractors and the others are sort of going after a whole hog. So half of their market's at risk, and a huge emerging sector is really using those people as gatekeepers into the general acute care marketplace.
1: Yeah, I also found it interesting when I asked him, you know, what does he think this is going to have, you know, as these outside uh, organizations begin to come into healthcare with these newer technologies, you know, thinking about Amazon or, or some of those groups like that. And, you know, he really thought that these newer technologies, you know, we always try to figure out, is any of this stuff going to take costs out? And I think that was the question we were going to walk around hims with during the conference. You know, does your, does your product take some costs out of the system? And he said, this is really about meeting a consumer's needs and solving a problem. That's not necessarily a cost Type of deal, so it's going to require something else to remove some of those costs from the system, and that sort of led into the second thing we discussed briefly, which was an article he uh, that Cave was quoted on in Forbes magazine, in which he was discussing AI and obviously a hot topic, hot at him. Everyone's talking AI, machine learning. And while everyone's jumping on it, there's obviously some areas of concern there uh, regarding, you know, databases used for machine learning, et cetera. But the one area Kaveh was pretty clear on that could help was was in terms of efficiencies. And in this case, he specifically discussed this idea of the EMRs that were put in. Doctors have to access that and type their stuff in, and the staff's typing stuff in, et cetera. And uh, and it's created this inefficiency that he said was about 10 to 15 percent which he then talked about some, you know, in essence, this concept of developing a tool that would, uh, a platform in the office that would record everything said and using AI convert it to the appropriate language to be placed into sections of the chart, such as an order or uh, um, a note or a assessment or a diagnosis or even a billing code. And, um, and I thought that really made a lot of sense. And when, when, He was talking about that. Obviously, we'd been in the nuance booth where we'd just seen something exactly like that, um, that they were demoing out for the first time, I believe. So I, I do think that AI really does have a lot of potential in that whole area of efficiency of systems, maybe less so in this fearful area that physicians are involved in, which is, oh, it's going to take my job, although there's
0: obviously some
1: truth there as well.
0: Yeah, I love the bullet, this report. It's just, it's great. I mean, go to the website, click on the link of this consumer health survey. There's a pretty powerful graphic. Who has a primary care physician? 85% born between 28 and 45, baby borners 84, Gen Xers 76, millennials 67, and Gen Z born 1997 and onward, just a little over half. Wow. Fascinating. You
1: know what would be interesting to see on that one is go back to the days you and I would have been the equivalent of a Gen Zer. And yeah. did you have a primary care doctor?
0: You know, um I've been knock on wood relatively fortunate uh with my health. Uh I tend to you know, I don't have the best mm-hmm. diet, but I generally have shied away from a lot of, lots of sugary stuff, stopped drinking soda. Maybe 30 years ago, always did water with a little splash of juice. So I've been relatively healthy, and yeah, I've I've I've, I've had for the most part employee-sponsored coverage, but I rarely engaged with the healthcare care system. I yeah I knew a lot about nosocomial infections and what's called iatrogenic medicine, uh, and I tended <laughs> to shy away from uh, you know like if I had to go, I had to go. But generally speaking, yeah, the doc. And oftentimes it was a business relationship there and we were friends, but I didn't access the system much. So I tried to stay away.
1: Yeah. And so my point there is me too. So, you know, when I was in the 20s, I didn't have a primary care doctor either. And but what I think is fascinating when you think about that is I would be willing to bet you that the ratios may be about the same for who had primary care doctors. But given the new technologies, the Gen Zers can access the system. And so they do. But we just didn't see anybody. Right. You know, so it may it would be fascinating to take a look at it and say, you know, is it what was that number you gave for Gen Zers with a primary care doctor?
0: It's just a little 50 percent.
1: Yeah. So it's a small, you yeah. know. So was it the same when we were that age? It could be. But I think now, well, dang, I can just open up my phone and get a telemedicine consult. I don't need a primary care doctor. And they do that. So <laughs> yeah. perhaps they're actually getting better access now with the same ratio.
0: Exactly. And a lot of the structural impediments that once stood in the way of these virtual care technologies are sort of falling by the wayside as adoption keeps increasing. So, you know, bottom line uh, the impact of technology to empower and democratize the healthcare experience cannot be denied. It's just here to stay. So it's yeah. like, and Kavi said, you know, it's ours to lose, guys. <laughs> And, and by right. ours, he means the legacy healthcare operators. So it's a warning and an right. opportunity.
1: Absolutely. And I think those that are more sophisticated, you know, I've been accessing a couple of different healthcare systems recently just for some different things. Um, and it's been interesting to see the different levels of technology between two, what are really major systems, um, where one has really gone in and made it a very nice experience using technology, making it easy do all my stuff through the app, schedule, check in. And the other one, it's like looking at a, uh, their their, uh, patient portal is like looking at a green bar from back in the old days when we had uh, dot matrix printers, you know, and that's Mm -hmm. really the difference. It's pretty fascinating.
0: Absolutely. So what else, Fred, what's on, what else were you uh, impressed by? I, I thought the I really thought a couple of things that
1: Nuance had were very interesting. The first was that, that demo they did uh, in the exhibition demo, which you walked in. There was a virtual doctor's office, and they had, I assume they were actors, actresses. Um, one was a patient, and in walks a physician, orthopedic exam, and the physician says, hey, Dragon, or something, and Dragon turns on to speak, and it just starts verbatim taking in the text. At the same time, they were showing a screen in which the AI was taking that text and converting it to be put into the chart. Um, And the uh, technology has multiple microphones in it in the wall and a couple cameras, and the cameras actually pick up where the individual points to on their knee. Obviously, it's new, but the way it brought that language in was really well done. Um, I didn't see any mistakes made on it, I and mean, it was a live demo. I mean, I was using another technology earlier today to, to uh, take a voice and make text out of it, and it was, you know, stuff. And then, obviously, if you can do that, and the, the as they put it in, the doctor never had to look away from the patient except to go look at, you know, if they called up the med screen to see that. Um, but they could do it all by voice. And I think that's really going to be a, an enabler and make this system better. You may remember Z um video about uh, EHR or something like that, where he's diving over the patient to be typing the notes. And I think it really has been a negative for the patient and clearly for the doctors in terms of stress, you know, directly tied to the stress levels is this charting issue. So I thought that was one fascinating piece of technology. So
0: uh, I was, not fortunate enough to get to experience that experience room at Nuance, but it, it sounds like what it is is natural language processing with deep learning, deep machine learning analytics that's converting it into text and and inserting it into the EMR. Is that, is that what you're yeah,
1: saying? Yeah, exactly. And they they have it done for orthopedics, and I can't remember how many – you know, hundreds of thousands of records they had transcribed to create the database to build the AI off of for orthopedics, and then, as I said, it drops it into the chart. They 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 had three of the major EHRs uh, already done. I think it was Epic Cerner and one more, and um, you know, as the physician said, okay, we'll do a follow up. Uh, I want you to get PT, and it pulled up PT, and you know, it puts the order in for that. It actually came up with the diagnosis codes. So you could file the claim. Very, very slick stuff. Cool. What else, Fred? The other one I thought was interesting also at their booth was this idea of uh, taking, you know, the radiologists are typically sitting back in their office. They've got their voice recorder. They're looking at the image. You know, they dictate their description, their assessment, you know, all that, and send, and, uh, send it off. And this one actually is like, think of a storefront for machine learning algorithms. And so, as you know, there's a ton of machine learning algorithms and AI being being uh, targeted at imaging and image analysis. There's a company here in Jacksonville, NLP Logics, that does some good work in that. Obviously, a lot of companies are focused on that. And what it did was when you pulled up the image, let's say it was you were looking for cancer in the lungs, it would show you on the left-hand side a series of machine learning algorithms that you could pick from. And it would have the price on there. So if you want to run it through, let's say, NLP Logic's algorithm or Mayo's algorithm or some other company's algorithm, you would pick that. It would run it up against that machine learning algorithm in the image and then take the output from the machine learning algorithm and pre-populate your notes and assessment. And then obviously the the radiologist could look at that and say, that makes sense. No, I need to adjust this. I want to do that. And then, bing, send it off so a uh, fascinating way to kind of create almost a storefront for machine learning algorithms to be used in an imaging context by radiologists
0: you know it's it's so patently obvious to me that voice is such a central solution here as we sort of tour the periphery with you know whether it's Siri or you know okay google or or you know Alexa it's pretty obvious how these things These listening devices are learning, adapting. All these black box algorithms are running and are actually figuring these things out. It's just hard to believe that the day of drop-down menus and keying in manually, keying in data is going to be with us for much longer, especially with physician burnout, workload issues, you know, dissatisfaction pretty much at all points in this continuum of care Uh, it's it's just inevitable. So I, I think nuance is placing their bets in the right place. And certainly sounds like they've got a leg up on the tech,
1: yeah, I, I, exactly right. You know, as you were talking about that, I was thinking of Seema Verma's statement that we're going to get rid of the fax machines by what was it, 2020 or something like that. And uh, obviously, you know, that's, that's a pretty sad statement. And when you're right. talking
0: about we're actually keying stuff in and we're going to move to this, we're right. still
1: fasting in some cases.
0: Right. Oh my right. gosh. <laughs> right. We're a little slow in healthcare, but that's not news to anyone. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Fascinating. So.
1: One of the other stories that sort of uh I read a couple of days ago that's kind of been making the rounds through a bunch of us folks looking at healthcare was in ProPublica and it was titled Health Insurance Hustle. Behind the scenes, health insurers use cash and gifts to sway which benefits employers choose. And it was a really well-written article pointing out some of these major health plans and the amounts of money or gifts or other things they use. Uh, to get brokers to sell their policies. Obviously, not a surprise to you or me, per se. We've seen this for a while. But to see it come out, um, and I actually co-published with NPR uh, about this, it's just, it was great. And to see the numbers in here, you know, as they said, uh, sell more, enroll more, get paid more. You know, brokers can power up and earn up to $150,000 per employer group. And for... Many employers out there, companies using brokers, they probably don't understand this. You know, one of the reasons the brokers will recommend switching between various health plans was because suddenly they're going to get a big old kicker from the, second, the one they switch to. And uh, to have this start coming out, I think, is going to be helpful for the industry and hopefully change some things.
0: So, you know, you and I are pretty close with our colleagues in the in the employer space, Uh uh, Brian Klepper is an example, what you're doing at the health value awards and so on and so forth. But uh, I don't know that it, this is a, a function of not necessarily looking, but my sense is that there's not much representation from that community at Hims. So, am I missing something?
1: No, I think you're right. I don't know that they're necessarily there. Um, and, you know, oftentimes brokers aren't the really, Truly understanding how healthcare works—that's part of what's trying to get done with the Health Value Awards, and obviously the Health Rosetta by Dave Chase, where he's uh, uh, providing uh, training and certification for brokers. So they can begin to understand this stuff. Uh, but obviously, broker and, and many other things actually in choosing uh, plans and benefit design, and et cetera. But I think the issue is interesting—is this is about brokers who are obviously commission-based by the health plan? Right. But I've also seen this in terms of consultants. And the way the consultants spin it is they'll tell somebody, oh, well, we expect next year's your health plan will grow, let's just say, cost you 10% more. And then at the end of the year, it comes in by eight. And they talk about how they did such a great job controlling your costs but they've set the number the year before because they knew that number was beyond what it was going to take to do it. And so, so they've sort of in I've seen this happen a couple of times in annual reports, they've sort of set up the employer who they, who the thinks the consultant is working on their behalf to have a winning hand, no matter what happens. Um, and so I think it's important for employers to begin to look at their brokers and, and honestly discuss what are you getting? What are you bringing me? Um, uh, do you have a relationship? Are you getting paid by somebody over here to recommend that service?
0: Right. Just a good, well, you a good know, thing to do. Uh, so I don't know if they're there. We just didn't see them, but they're, they're all over the fintech group, you know, and, and uh, well, I haven't been to that health conference, HLTH. Uh, there's <laughs> big time financial and broker prep, uh, representation there. So in our uh, remaining minute and a half or so, um, tell us a little bit about that the CVS experience and what you noticed that they reported there. Is it good, bad or sideways?
1: Oh, yeah. So interestingly, CVS is obviously figuring out how they're going to work with that and et cetera. And as part of this, they're trying to create a storefronts that are much more of a chronic care management delivery system. Now, whether or not this will work, I think it's still up in the air, but they're talking about putting in multiple exam rooms, dietitians, respiratory therapists, lab, et cetera, and have sort of a concierge thing. I think at the end of the day, the key is if they link it up, you know, as we've talked about in the first, of the show, if they create the interoperability, share that data, push it out, become a part of the system. I think it's probably going to be a good idea for people to be able to just go in and access this stuff. Anywhere you can access it. Different people need different ways. Uh, any way you can do it. tech, Location, pharmacy, doctor, whatever I think is helpful if it's linked up and not just hanging out there by itself.
0: Well, just the concluding thing that CVS uh, forecasts adjusted earnings from six dollars and sixty-eight cents <laughs> to six eighty-eight per share. That's below the seven forty-one per share analysts polled had expected. So that must say something about the operating performance.
1: Right. It took an AP on a on one of their
0: companies. Yeah, they may have a long-term plan and and they shared some of that at, at jp morgan but we're well fred i want to thank you there you have it and and just a clarification on the cvs health earnings as far as the quarterly results ending december 31st 2018 they actually booked a 37 cent loss which is a 112 percent decline year over year and for the full 12 months 2018 They booked a $0.55 loss, which was a 109% decline year over year. So no doubt their digestion here is with the acquisition of Aetna that we shall see if the synergies that management has predicted for this rather unconventional merger, tail wagging the dog, so to speak, a retail chain buying a major health insurance company, we shall see if that pans out. So this will officially bring our Live from Hymns 2019 series to a conclusion. Look for some of the individual interviews that we recorded to be posted here shortly, especially Anish Chopra, John Madison, and of course, Rasu Shrestha, three of my favorite people in the space. So for Fred Goldstein and Dr. Nick Vander Hayden and for Healthcare Now Radio, this is Greg Masters saying, bye now.